Welcome to the show. My name is Molly Elmore and today we are going to talk about gold and whether or not the world will move back to a gold standard. It's a pretty important topic if you are going to talk about the future of money to explore what role do we think gold will play in kind of a new monetary system. All right, let's get started. Now, trying to predict the future of money is not an easy topic because I'm not a psychic. <laughs> I don't have a crystal ball. It'd be kind of handy in this role to be a time traveler, but I have none of those things. What we do have though are data points. And as an analyst, we're going to connect the dots and look at what the evidence that we do have kind of points to. We might be wrong, we might be right, but the goal here, in my opinion, is to make an educated hypothesis as to where we think things are going so we can prepare and react accordingly. All right, let's go over, first of all, what do we know pretty confidently? I don't want to say anything is a fact because facts in science and math are confusing because all you really have are data points and you can draw conclusions based on those data points. And sometimes people call those facts, but they aren't necessarily immutable, like data can be misread and misinterpreted. So let's look at the data points we have and see what conclusions we feel confident drawing about them. Okay, it does look very clear that the unipolar world that's centered around the dollar is having trouble. The dollar has been the global reserve currency since 1944. After World War II, the Bretton Woods Agreement uh, solidified the dollar as the primary currency to conduct global trade. Now the deal though was is that the dollars at that point were backed by gold. So the dollar functioned kind of like a poker chip where you know you go to a casino, you have your money, you swap your money in for chips, you take these chips into the casino, you go play your games, you conduct and you know, in this case you conduct your trade, you conduct your barter, and at the end, you take the poker chips that you have and you cash them back out for real money. That's basically what the dollar was after 1944. And now citizens, especially American citizens, we were not allowed to own gold at this time. Gold ownership became illegal in 1933, which is still kind of crazy to imagine. So during Bretton Woods, the only groups that owned gold were like banks and countries. So a country, kind of functioned in this poker chip, you know, scenario and that a country could conduct trade with another country in dollars. And if they decided they wanted to cash out and get quote real money, they could go to the U S central bank and swap their dollars in for bars of gold. So in actual reality from 1944, the real reserve currency was gold. The dollar just acted like a poker chip that enabled people to trade more easily, but you could always cash that out for the real asset. Now that all changed in 1971 when Nixon basically realized that they had spent more money than they had in gold and closed the, what they called closed the gold window and gold was no longer able to be exchanged. Sorry, dollars were no longer able to be exchanged for gold after that point. And from that point on the reserve asset became dollars. And the only group in the world that can mine reserves, U.S. dollar reserves, is the U.S. Central Bank, the Federal Reserve System. 
But interestingly, reserves have their role and they're kind of used as currency in between banks. But, you know, regular people like us, we don't use reserves. We don't have the ability to. My understanding is actually you have to kind of have an account with the Fed to even use reserves, which is why commercial banks mostly use it. Uh, all right. So at that after that point, gold sort of left the equation and dollars were able to be increased very easily, whether the res the central bank did it via reserves or whether commercial banks did it. You know, every you know, every time you open a new credit card and a bank gives you a line of credit and you go out and spend it, that's new money that's literally created out of nothing. Um, it used to be that banks had to have a certain percentage in reserves, but during COVID that actually went down to zero. So banks can now issue loans with no money at all. They just make it up out of thin air. That's why this debt forgiveness stuff that's becoming kind of popular is a little bit silly because basically you just say you take out a loan, the bank gives you the money, they created it out of nothing. You have to pay interest on that loan, but they didn't, you know, they're not exactly lending you some kind of asset that they had. So if they were to forgive that loan, they're just forgiving something that was created out of nothing. Um, it's kind of crazy how that works. Which is also why it's silly when you see large commercial banks be given fines for doing bad things. Like JP Morgan's been fined for a bunch of things like, you know, spoofing the gold market. Well, they can just print money out of nothing. So it's not exactly a big hardship if you find somebody who has the ability to print money. So anyway, I digress. Let us go back to our gold discussion. All right. So since 1971, gold has not played a key role in money. Um, in the mid-70s, the United States created an agreement with the OPEC oil nations, with OPEC cartel, uh, to only conduct oil trade in dollars. And so some people like to make the analogy that oil kind of became the new asset and that everything was this sort of asset of oil was bought and sold in dollars. And it kind of functioned a little bit like gold. And that worked actually for a long time. You know, the price of gas, you know, went up a little bit, but there was very few major gas hikes, you know, after the 70s drama was done. Like I grew up in the 80s and 90s and don't really remember people complaining about gas other than maybe a few isolated times. So that actually worked fairly well. But now we are in this era where that relationship with the OPEC nations and specifically Saudi Arabia is breaking down. And we see that this shift away from this entire world global trade system centered around dollars is going away. We also have this problem that so many dollars have been created that we have inflation. Um, you've probably noticed that if you've gone to a store. Uh, but the interesting thing about that is I think that the Fed is being blamed for that which I don't really think central banks are our friend, but I also think that global geopolitics is much more complicated than just there being one bad guy. And the reality is too with the dollar supply is that a lot of dollars are created outside of the United States. And this is sort of a reality of this former system where everything is bought for and sold in dollars. A lot of other countries who sell things to the US, like China, for example, they end up with this massive surplus of dollars. They have all their profit is in dollars. And what do they do with it? They could exchange it back to their native currency, sure, or they could put it in a bank and earn interest on it. And the way 
banks do that is they take your money and they lend it out for interest and you kind of as the depositor get a cut of that. Now, if you were to deposit your money in a U.S. bank, you're going to get lower interest. And by by my analogy of you depositing, I'm talking about like a country like China, not a random person. So let's say China deposits their money in a U.S. bank. They're going to get lower interest because U.S. banks have more rules imposed on them, especially after the 2009 banking crisis. So China would get a much better interest rate, like a much better, higher interest rate if they deposited their dollars in a non-US bank. This is called the shadow banking world, which sounds very sinister, but it just means that they're not regulated US banks. So they put their money in this shadow bank, and they get higher interest because the shadow bank can do whatever it wants, and it can lend to riskier people and countries and businesses. And when you, you know, the higher the risk, the higher reward. So these countries like China could invest in uh, sort of deposit their money in these uh, offshore banks get a higher reward and the it also uses this fractional reserve system that we just went over with credit cards and that this shadow bank let's say it's a bank in the caribbean to where a lot of them are to be honest this lends money to some country somewhere who needs to borrow money to fund their operations or buy commodities or whatever uh that they use fractional reserve banking and increase the supply of dollars. So if China deposits a million dollars, this shadow bank can go and lend a hundred million dollars. And this increases the supply. Now, the thing that's tough for the Fed is that they can't kind of do anything about it. In the With U.S. banks, the Fed can tell banks they have to put more in reserve or they have to, them park money at this thing called the repo facility. Like the Fed has tools to sort of manage the supply of money managed by U.S. banks. But the problem that the Fed has is that so many dollars have been created outside of the dollar system that they've lost control over it. And this has led to this massive increase in supply. Um, this is kind of done through what's called the euro dollar market. I'll probably do a whole episode on euro dollar market because uh, it's it's not really something that I think people talk about very often, but is really key to understanding what's going on in the financial situation. And it is creating this massive debt bubble that is not something that the Fed has any authority over because this is being done outside of the US by just random banks all over the world. And it's creating this sovereign debt crisis where a lot of these nations have been borrowing money from the shadow banks uh, and the dollar has gone up in strength. And so these some of these nations are not going to be able to pay back their debt. And this is a function of a couple things. The higher interest rates means that now their payments are going up because they have to re refinance a lot of the debt. Um, it also costs them more in their native currency to pay the bill in dollars because the exchange rates now favoring the dollar much more than it was. And things like oil have just gotten really expensive. So there's like this sort of perfect storm of things that are going to likely force a lot of nations, especially smaller nations that don't really produce a lot of their own stuff and they have to buy oil and food, they are going to, uh, some of them are going to have a situation where they can't pay their bills and they go into default. And this will likely be a catalyst for a major financial event that, you know, there's been a lot of labels for what this type of thing would be called. You know, it kind of got this label of Great Reset during... 2020 
We also hear it talked about as just a current currency reset or a sovereign debt crisis, but they all sort of point to this same end game, which is where the current fiat system has gotten so out of control. There are so many dollars and other currencies in circulation that have been issued as debt that there's no way the debt could ever be repaid. And the currencies therefore lose their value and the whole thing kind of collapses. So let's just say for argument's sake that a lot of people have seen this coming for a while and especially very in the know groups like central banks who, you know, they, they have a lot of assets and they don't really want to mess around and take very risky gambles. So that's sort of the laying the land for the situation. And that's kind of one of the things that we do know, though. We do know that the euro dollar market is out of control with the amount of dollars that have been printed and a ton of loans have been issued. These are also called sovereign bonds. Like when you buy a bond from a, a country, you're essentially loaning them money and they're going to pay you interest. So this debt bubble includes a lot of nations who have sold a ton of bonds uh, to fund their operations. We've seen in the last couple of years, and this has been issued or sort of determined through press releases, is that a lot of central banks around the world are stockpiling gold. It's not a secret. China has a ton of gold. Apparently, you're not even allowed to export gold if you are a miner of gold in China. It must stay within the country. The central bank has a lot. I think the the CCP has a lot, like China's serious about gold. Russia's also been stockpiling gold. You've seen countries like Turkey. There's a lot of, it's been a popular thing for central banks over the last couple of years to take wealth, assets, and convert them into gold for storage. The question would be, why would they do that if gold is some kind of old-fashioned, antiquated asset that no one cares about anymore? And then recently... The Bank of International Settlements, the settlements, the BIS, it's kind of like the Central Bank of Central Banks. That's a fascinating rabbit hole in its own. Well, maybe we'll go down that one day in an episode. Anyway, the BIS has named gold a tier one asset. Tier one asset is the best of all the assets, the most stable, the most revered, the most trusted. So if you are a bank and you want to borrow money, you have to put up collateral. And some assets aren't considered awesome, so you have to put up like more collateral than you get as the loan. So let's say you had an asset that wasn't awesome, like uh, real estate maybe, because real estate, you know, there's, there's risks with that. You might have to put up twice as much real estate as you want to borrow the money for, if that makes sense. But gold is this now a one-to-one. -one. So it's considered like the most efficient asset. You have to put up the least to get the most in return, if that makes sense. The only other tier one asset is dollars. So it's now on par and it's considered as good as money. Why would central banks do that if there wasn't some sort of plan to have gold be part of a new financial system? Uh, now, the question that comes up whenever I've discussed, you know, the idea of going back to the gold standard with other people is, is a very logical argument that governments around the world right now have this amazing setup that whenever they need money, they just print it. You have an infinite supply, like, why would you 
move away from that. And that is a compelling argument. I can see that governments, especially the federal, the U.S. government via the Fed, who has the ability to print like the only, like the most valued reserve asset out of nothing, why would they give that up? And that's a great question that I only have theories around. But it's just possible that they don't really have a choice and that sort of the, the game is up and that the dollar is on its way out because the supply was just printed into infinite, infinitum supply. Um, and, you know, it was a good run. They used that to buy a lot of assets and now it's kind of time to start over. And if you look back at history, every single reserve currency kind of had its day and had its run and they seem to last about 100 years uh ray dalio's book changing of the world order kind of covers this and sort of points to how each nation that issues a reserve currency kind of has its cycle and it kind of goes up and has its peak and then goes down now i don't agree with a lot of things in his book to be honest not that i'm, I'm more knowledgeable about anything than ray dalio but he, he has kind of this sort of cynical view that uh the u.s is sort of declining and that China is going to take over as the global reserve world power. I don't necessarily know if that's the case, if the next version of the world will have one dominant player. What it's actually looking like is we're going to fracture up into a multipolar world, meaning instead of having this sort of one central currency and one central kind of alliance, which is kind of like the G20 or even the UN, what if it just moves to being more regionally focused, at least for a few generations? And shipping, instead of being all about the cheapest stuff made in the cheapest location, it just reverts back to being more regional. And you have like a North American center, you have a European center, maybe an, an Asian center. I'm not really sure exactly how all of that will play out. And some different economists have viewpoints on sort of the details, but it does look like there is a pretty consistent belief that the current system of global trade is breaking apart and we're going to move into a different system that's more fractured and when you have fractured trade you don't everybody doesn't have to use the same money to pay for stuff there could there's plenty of room for multiple reserve currencies and to be honest there are actually multiple reserve currencies now um, reserve currencies are assets that are held by banks to store value. There are also currencies that are just considered to be very stable and used for purposes of trade. And even though the dollar is sort of the dominant currency, people still buy stuff in euros. And a country exporting products to the European Union will still accept euros as payments. It's not really true that dollars are the only thing that's accepted. Now, what does appear to be the case at this point is that only sovereign currencies have been kind of part of global trade. And that's something like Bitcoin, for example, you know, a lot of Bitcoin maxis love to talk about Bitcoin becoming the new reserve currency. And while I think Bitcoin would solve a major problem for nations, especially those that export, uh, in that it's not tied to any one country, it doesn't have the problems associated with what's called the Triffin Dilemma, where the nation who issues the reserve currency hurts their own export business because their currency is too strong, so it makes all their stuff too expensive for people in other countries. Bitcoin would solve the Triffin dilemma for major exporters like China, the US even, 
but none of these central banks have control over Bitcoin. And so forget about the even like kind of fairy tale story about Satoshi Nakamoto being this sort of good Samaritan who came back to rescue money. The central banks and the large nations still have the decision-making power to decide what currency they want to use for trade. So it's not really up to us as the people, even if we want to use Bitcoin or any digital asset to trade with each other, that doesn't really affect what central banks do with their money to hold as assets. They're going to want to use something that they like and trust. They could use Bitcoin. I don't, that's not impossible. It's just not something that we hear any central banks ever allude to. Now, what have central banks talked about in the past? They have talked about what's called a basket currency. And this has come up a couple of times. It came up in the 1940s with this idea of the Bancor, which is a basket currency of multiple currencies, kind of like a like a mutual fund where you have a bunch of different currencies that kind of get weighted on a certain percentage. This is what the BRICS nations are talking about. And this is also what the IMF SDR is. So this notion of a new asset that's created as a result of averaging together other assets, almost like a derivative, to be honest. Uh, it's something that's come up a few times and the IMF would like this, namely because the IMF is sort of part of this globalist group that doesn't like countries. They would rather be in charge and not have one nation issue the currency so that they can control it. And the question just does comes into play is what role would gold play in any of this? Because the SDR has a very high percentage of dollars in that basket. What happens if the dollar and the euro and the yen get so out of control with inflation because of the constant printing that humanity just loses faith in fiat currency? That's when something like Bitcoin could take over this grassroots movement of people saying, you know what? I'm done with this fiat, it's just not holding its value. I'm gonna use something else. And that becomes a bottom-up movement. Um, but that does not solve this problem of what the central banks wanna do. And so this is where this idea, my hypothesis that I'm taking a very long time to get to is this is what I think is gonna happen. Central banks have been stockpiling gold. Gold will be at the center part of this new financial system. The BRICS nations have put out a couple of teasers about their new currency. Now, The BRICS nations, if you're not familiar, that's Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, uh, I think India. And there's other nations who have expressed interest, specifically Saudi Arabia, I think Argentina, Venezuela, Turkey. There's a lot of chatter for other nations wanting to join. And this group is a huge percentage of the world population. And so if they decide that they want to trade with each other in a new currency, that's going to affect everyone, even if you are not in a BRICS nation or a part even close to one. It's going to affect everything. Namely, because the value of the dollar is going to go down if this artificial demand for dollars decreases because it's no longer needed for trade everywhere. All right. BRICS nations have put out a couple of data points we can look at. They indicated that their new currency would be a basket currency, so it's not going to be based just on one thing, like one nation's currency. 
And it would be a blend of things like commodities and gold and potentially sovereign currencies. Now, one of the problems with using commodities in for trade is that commodities like aren't consistent. Like let's say you wanted to use oil as a currency, right? Not all oil is the same. There's like, I'm not, I'm certainly no oil expert, but my understanding is there's different grades. There's different quality levels. There's like oil for different purposes. Like there isn't just one kind of oil. And so if you were to be trading with oil, you have to have all of these conditions on like, well, which kind of oil, how do you, you know, what grade of refining, what do you do if you want to trade an oil type that's not part of that list? It gets kind of complicated. And that's why gold is very simple. Because as far as I know, there's like one, as long as it's pure gold, there's like one kind. There aren't all of these things for uh, versions of it. And that's sort of the same situation if you were to ever use something like food, corn, or wheat. Well, there's different kinds of wheat. And wheat can go bad. And that's sort of another benefit to gold is like it doesn't rot or spoil and it lasts forever. So it's hard to beat a physical asset to use in trade and currencies than gold. Now, leave aside any digital asset for a second, like what would be considered a more reliable, stable store of value than gold? It's hard to argue about anything that would be better than gold. All right, so let's say the BRICS currencies have gold as part of it, but they also have these other commodities and other things. Well, how could that, how would that work? Well, one article that I read pointed to everything now being priced in gold. So let's say Russia and China are selling each other a commodity like wheat. Instead of it being priced in ruples or yuan or dollars, it's now like gold becomes the new price mechanism. So like how many grams of gold does it cost you to buy a bushel of wheat? And that becomes the new way we price things mentally, comparison shopping, whatever. And that sort of is one of the functions of a reserve currency is to think about how things are valued and negotiating on price. If you've done any crypto trading, uh, whenever you buy most digital assets, they're all priced in dollars. Now you can go to some places and trade in Bitcoin, but it, one of the things that's hard for me is like, I don't think in Bitcoin. So it's hard for me to understand like if I'm getting a good price or not when something's priced in Bitcoin. So this would be a major shift, but if everybody started to trade in gold, meaning things were priced in gold, and we all started to think about, you know, one gram of gold, how much stuff do you get for it? That would be a major, major shift globally to everybody now thinking in this neutral asset. Now, let's digress for a second about the value of gold, because right now gold is like, 1700-ish an ounce. I don't know the exact price today. That's roughly where it's been for a while. It has long been believed that the price of gold is suppressed. And it is suppressed to keep the perception that the dollar is strong alive. Because if all of a sudden gold started rising in value like crazy, it would rise in value relative to the dollar. And so all currency pricing and valuations are relative so if gold goes up, it means by definition that dollar goes down. And so when they keep gold undervalued, 
it makes the dollar look like it's held its own. And they have a cool system, not maybe not cool, they have a clever system that they use to manipulate the price. It involves naked shorts and paper dollars. I've written actually some articles on it. Maybe I'll put those in the description in case you want to learn more. But there's a pretty well-documented system that some of these larger investment banks use to short and decrease the price of gold. So if it gets above $2,000 an ounce, they go in and they mess with it so that it goes back down and it kind of creates this fear that gold is volatile and it keeps people from storing their value in gold. Uh, because as of now, the Federal Reserve System and the banks that own the Fed, they still, you know, the dollar is their product. As of now, they still want everybody to believe that the dollar is the best, the best thing. But as we prepare for the next financial system, it is very likely that the gold price will change. And what would be the catalyst for that? Well, the Russians and the Chinese have both have gold markets or plans to announce a gold market. So let's say, for example, the Russians open their gold exchange, the Moscow gold market, and they are not going to suppress gold. It is going to allow its true market value to be found or whatever, price, true price discovery. And let's say, though, on day one, they want to put the Western London and Chicago gold markets like out of business. All they have to do is say that the price of gold in Moscow is now $3,000 an ounce. And you know what everybody who trades in gold would do? They would go to the London Exchange, they would buy as much gold as they could at $1,700, and they would run over to Moscow and sell it all for $3,000 an ounce. They would make fast profit on the arbitrage. This would drain the London gold market of gold instantly. It would basically just shut it down. And that is why it's also been very, you know, you, there aren't a lot of gold exchanges, partly because it's hard to manipulate a lot of markets. But if the Russians, the day the Russians open up a new market and they set the price higher, it will have a massive impact on not only the price of gold, but where you buy and sell gold. So let's say then all of a sudden now this manipulated gold market in London is out of business. There now is this Russia exchange. Gold is now going to go up to, let's just say it goes to $10,000 an ounce. That's kind of going to mess up a lot of things that are sort of stable in the world in terms of currency exchanges. And that could be a catalyst that leads to a major market event. Some currencies collapse potentially. Because let's say you had a like some debt that was in gold and you were going to pay it back and all of a sudden the price of gold is different. I'm not sure I fully have a good grasp on all the consequences that would happen if gold went from 1700 to 10k overnight, but the financial system likes one thing and it likes stability and massive abruptive changes can have big consequences. All right, so let's say now that we have all these nations who have been stockpiling gold, stockpiling gold. We have a new exchange that opens up in the east where gold now has price discovery and we have this sovereign debt crisis explode. No longer are nations able to pay their debt that's in dollars, especially these emerging nations. We enter this situation of this currency collapse, currency reset. Now, twice in history, in the last hundred years, we've had situations where global leaders meet 
and they make decisions about exchange rates. That's partly what Bretton Woods was about, was not only saying the dollar was the global reserve currency, it set fixed exchange rates between the dollar and all these other currencies. And that worked for a while, but after the gold uh, window was closed in the 70s, there was sort of these free floating currency exchanges and it created some problems in the mid 80s, which is what led to the Plaza Accord. And that was when a few nations met and they manually like reset the exchange rate to lower the value of the dollar and raise the value of the yen and the German mark in an attempt to kind of fix things. And it kind of worked for Germany, but it did not really help Japan. Japan had a really tough time after that. So resetting these global currencies, like there's winners and losers in that type of situation, which is why I personally want to try to figure out what, what's going to happen here so I can end up on the winning side of this bet or this change. And if now we have, if all these currencies still exist in name, but they all get revalued and they get revalued relative to gold, that would be a very different situation. Now, one of the assets that I spent a lot of time reading about and researching, and I personally own a bit of, is XRP. And XRP is, you know, a lot of these digital assets could do a lot of things, but Ripple, the company, has created some products that use XRP primarily to serve as kind of liquidity pool exchanges between banks, where they banks can send money to other banks or countries can send money to other countries. Cross-border payments, they refer to it as. And these exchanges have to have a way to like determine the exchange rate. So this revaluation kind of fits into that. And I don't personally think at this point that XRB would XRP would be like a reserve currency, but it could function like the dollar did back when it was tied to gold. So the way it worked back then was there was a fixed exchange rate of $35 an ounce to gold. And that was not market discovery. Like that was a decision that was made and people of the world sort of followed it. Now, it was easier for them to make that decision in 1944 because random people like us did not own gold. It was only owned by institutions. So there is this interesting situation with XRP where like random people like us own XRP. How would that work if there was a revaluation? And attorney Jimmy Valley has covered this a couple of times. It gets the XRP community all sorts of fired up if you bring this up. But it kind of ties into this idea of what happens if all these currencies collapse and we have a new sort of financial system that launches built around the dollar, sorry, built around gold, what, what role would XRP play? And it could be the way for everybody to pay each other for global trade, that the, the, current, the currency that you use to buy stuff from other countries. And it's potentially pegged to gold, I don't know, or if it has its own, it kind of starts out one day with saying, all right, we're gonna start with this value at, at the reset, and then we're going to let market do what it wants to do. Because uh, one thing that Ripple and David Schwartz have said, he's the CTO of Ripple, that arbitrage is a big part of how prices kind of stay the same across different exchanges. And so I don't think that XRP would have a fixed price in terms of dollars. It gets tricky when you start to think about things in terms of gold, though. 
I am talking a little bit aloud here trying to figure this out because I do think that XRP has a role in this cross-border payments. I'm just not quite sure exactly how its value would be connected to these other things. It could be fixed. It could be floating. It could be based on something else. Um, I think we're still unclear about that. Lots of people have speculative theories, and I certainly do. I'm just looking for data points that point to one or possibly, you know, other scenarios having a higher probability or higher likelihood. All right, so that's where I am with this. Do I think we're returning to the gold standard? Sort of. I think we are moving to a new monetary system that is not going to be based on one nation's currency. We're going to have multiple reserve currencies. I think gold is going to be the center of it because when history has shown that people lose faith in fiat currencies, they people tend to revert back to the one trusted asset that has stood the test of time and that is gold. That is not just simply conjecture because the central banks across the world have been stockpiling gold in preparation for something and it looks like in preparation for a new monetary system. Do I think buying gold is a good idea? Sure. I would suggest buying physical gold or at least buying from somebody who tells you they have the physical gold and not what's called paper gold. Um, because you might wake up one day and find that your paper gold is just worth paper. I'm more interested in kind of how this is all going to work just because I'm curious about it and I think that it's going to affect a lot of people in good and in bad ways and I just want to have the list of all the pros and cons. Uh, I think that the fiat system we have is going away. Now sometimes people like to put the label of Nasara Jasara on this type of thing I have a hard time grasping that because it just seems like a little too utopian and a little too good to be true. And I think that this big change that's coming, there will be pros and cons. And there's not a whole lot of cons to Nasara unless you're one of sort of the bad guys who's going to jail, which again, I have seen no evidence that points to that being a reality. While I think it's a neat idea, it's fun to to chat about. Uh, Nasara and the Great Reset have a lot in common in that they both include a collapse of the current currency systems, the debt that's been created out of nothing just simply going away. You can call that debt jubilee or debt forgiveness. The debt levels that we have now globally are just not going to be ever paid off. So at some point, there's just going to start to be a major set of collapses. So if a politician wants to forgive a bunch of debt looking like some kind of hero, that's fine, but <laughs> it might just be in advance of knowing the whole debt system is collapsing anyway. So uh, it might not be as generous as it appears. Uh, now, metals like silver and palladium and copper, they all probably have some kind of a role and I haven't figured out exactly what those are, but it does not appear that any asset has the same level of trust in terms of being money that gold has. So I do think this new money system we're gonna get globally will be centered around and based on gold. So are we going to a gold standard? Sort of, but it's not going to look the same as it did before. I think that items and commodities will be priced in gold, but we still will have different currencies that are used to support trade and buying stuff in your own place but gold will be how things are, the value is determined. So that's my theory. I might change it as I learn more stuff. I'll certainly record a new episode if my hypothesis changes. 
And if you like to talk about this kind of stuff, which I do, the future of money, how does blockchain fit into this, and what is sort of the reality of geopolitics that helps confirm or disprove some of these theories, I have a locals community that I'd love for you to join. It's twostepsahead.locals.com. I'll put the link in the description. And we talk about these types of things. And the thing I like about Locals, it's a pretty open platform. We can talk about many of these things pretty openly and honestly, which I have found out the hard way is not the case with some social media platforms like Facebook. So join me on Locals. Love to have you and meet with you and connect with you further. All right, I will see you in the next episode.